Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1318, Palm Springs Eternal. Our podcast title is Pod Springs. I am Rob Jan. And I'm Megan McHugh. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio. <laughs> yeah, I know, deja vu. <laughs> We've been here before. Why did we play that particular track, which you will all know as instrumental and vocal too, to the essence of the television series Russian Doll? It's called Gotta Get Up, in case you missed the repeated <laughs> lyrics, by Harry Nilsson from his Nilsson Schmilsson album. And Russian Doll, of course, was a time loop science fiction series. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, did we ever decide if it was science fiction or fantasy or not? I think we did say that there was a definite science fiction element because of the kind of quantum physics kind of vibe that it ended up having a bit of. But mm. yeah, I would classify definitely that as a time loop sci fi. And here we are discussing time loop movies once again. <laughs> We just can't escape. It's almost as if we – no, well, let's not go there. Now, look, Russian Doll was a, a television series, mm-hmm. and, of course, it's a, a common trope of science fiction and fantasy TV series, the, the time loop where the characters within 40 or 45 minutes have to break themselves out of some kind of temporal prison. We had an episode of Star Trek Next Gen called Cause and Effect, and that actually came out in 1992, before Groundhog Day. Wow. Uh, been there, done that. A really funny episode of Xena Warrior Princess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer had life serial. There's Mystery Spot from Supernatural. And Charmed even had one. Mm, yeah. That's only a half a dozen or so. There's every fantasy or sci-fi series ever made has a go at the time loop story. Now, the reason why we're talking about this once again is not because we're necessarily trapped in it. We've moved on a little bit. Megan suggested a movie. Yes, I did. So I had been advertised a particular film called Palm Springs. And so it's romantic comedy and, of course, revolves around the time loop premise. And so it really intrigued me. And so straight away I thought, okay, time loop. I reckon I can skate this in into zero G territory, get Rob on board. (laughs) And so I suggested it. And I thought especially because I think Russian Doll was probably a really fine example of time loop done well. Like I think we both really loved that series, Rob, when it was out on, it's a Netflix original. So it'll still be on there for you to watch if you haven't watched it. Highly recommend. And I think the way to do the time loop story well is to understand that you are like excusing the pun, you're doing a tried and true formula that's been done over and over again before. So you need to bring something fresh. And so every time one of these kind of ideas pops up, I'm always keen to see how they handle it and whether they manage to stick the landing, so to speak. So I did also have some other 
films that we've seen this trope in, probably most of which you would be familiar with as well, Rob. So you did mention Groundhog Day, of course, probably the one that springs most to mind with Bill Murray that kind of really mainstreamified the whole time loop concept. What I like about time loop as a concept is we've seen it in a lot of different genres. So we have Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise, which is a sort of very much an action science fiction piece. And then Source Code, which is another really great film where it's sort of a solve this ticking time bomb mystery in order to save yourselves action as well. And then we start to lean a little more into horror, really started to pick up this trope with Happy Death Day, that series. Have you seen any of those ones? Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to you. Yeah, they're actually quite cool. Mm, I had actually heard that. Much better than I thought they would be. Sorry, I go back to The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, the 1983 Japanese science fiction film. Uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi directed that one, which is based on a 1965 novel written by Wataru Kenmotsu. And that one had a, a live-action film and a couple of anime adaptations mm-hmm. as well. It seemed like they just had to go back and repeat themselves. <laughs> that is one of my favourite animes, actually. It is really lovely. I don't know which adaptation, but there was one that would have come out around the 2000s and really, really loved that one. Mm. There's another film called Primer, which does have time loops built into it. That is probably the most complicated time travel movie I've ever seen that came out in 2004. Triangle in 2009, which is actually an Australian-United Kingdom joint film, and also The Infinite Man in 2014. Now, that's actually a romantic one, Mm. kind of a rom-com as well. And in that one, the scientist in it wanted to relive a romantic weekend with his girlfriend and found a way to do it. (laughs) Other horror ones along the Happy Death Day line, The Endless, from 2017, Before I Fall. Now, that's a a Mm. 2017 one as well. Yeah, Um, that's a young adult kind of thing. I looked that one up as well, and it looks like they're, yeah, they've even got sort of your more coming-of-age young adult stories as well could be told within the trope. Black Mirror, Bandersnatch, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where you actually control the time loop. Exactly. (laughs) And if you haven't played that, because that's what it is, a, a kind of a choose-your-own-adventure story but adapted for television, interactive media. Mm, yeah. Have a shot at that. And so, you know, there's been a lot of diverse movements backwards and forwards through time, as mm. it were, in this time loop story. I mean, you know, I've lost track of how many times I've done it on Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, if you're a time travel television show, well, you're going to do that. It's a go-to trope. And it's often used as a prison. Have you noticed that? Doctor Strange used one to incarcerate Domamu. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I I always like to run through that quickly. Just a standard sort of trope. Mm. All right, so let's have another track here. And one of the nice things about Palm Springs, one of the many nice things, is that they repeat tracks throughout it. Mm, mm, mm. Their music repeats in different forms. This one we played before. It's the Partisan, Leonard Cohen, and this is from the Essential Leonard Cohen album. And this is a a cracking good song, even by itself. So here's the Partisan by Leonard Cohen, part of the soundtrack for Palm Springs. Hi, this is Corey McAbee from Stingray Sam and the American Astronaut, and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRR FM. He does the things that folks don't do that need to be done. 
Yeah, the partisan, Leonard Cohen's version. He didn't write it. He popularised it so much in the more recent years. We forget that it was written back in 1943. And it's an anti-fascist song, hence the French lyrics in there. <laughs> and there are multiple adaptations of that throughout the year. But this is the one that was included within the soundtrack of Palm Springs, which is actually in California. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking it was in Florida for some reason. I think it's but a common no. misconception. Yeah, palm trees, springs, yeah, I suppose. No crocodiles, though. <laughs> but other hazards. And we are looking at the film Palm Springs, which you can find on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Relatively recent in terms of its provenance. Mm. It was released this year, 2020, and it actually showed at Sundance earlier in the year when stuff like that still happened back in January. So it was quite well received at Sundance. Uh, So I'll tell you a little bit about the production. Uh, It's directed by Max Barbacow, is how I'm going to say his name. It looks to be his first full feature. So he went to film school. He worked a bit with Werner Herzog, you know, but from the sounds of it, himself and the writer of of this film, Palm Springs, that we're talking about today, Andy Ciara, they went to film school together. They worked on the concept. And then over time, the idea did morph and change a little bit. Like I think they said at first it was a bit of a navel-gazing, I think in their words, mumblecore film. And then it progressed a bit and ideas changed and then this introduction of the time loop concept came. And then I guess the real lightning in a bottle moment was when Andy Samberg came on board. So Andy Samberg's production company, Lonely Island, so that's – kind of a name for a comedy group that he's in, but also they do a lot of Lonely Island production, so they do a lot of film producing and whatnot. So they're, you know, they know what they like and they do that well. And so having Samberg on board was a pretty big win for them. And the film did sell for a lot at Sundance and for distribution. And then now we can see it on our own screens on Amazon Prime, as you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, we can start off with a little bit about the plot and premise. I don't really think there's any spoilers. I think it's all quite laid out for you in the trailer. I'd say it sits firmly within a comedy romance subgenre Mm. with the sci-fi element on top. I can sum it up in one sentence. (laughs) There's a wedding in Palm Springs where an earthquake opens up a time loop that you can get sucked into from a cave. Yes. There we go. (laughs) Done and done. Well, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the crux of it. I think, yeah, it's basically set in Palm Springs. We've got this desert environment and we have our lead. I really like this new kind of romantic lead that we see more and more these days. So it's played by Andy Samberg. It's a fellow called Niles and he's neither like kind of your layabout rat bag that you might have seen Jason Segal play back in the day, nor is he your classic foppish English romantic hero like a Hugh Grant back in the day. It's kind of this new era everyday guy but, you know, rough around the edges but still with a nice guy at the end of the day. I thought that was a really interesting – and I think Andy Samberg to me is kind of the cutout template of just a nice funny guy. Do you know, it's not that far off of Cary Grant. You reckon? I would have thought he has more of the suave 
sheen on top. I, I'm thinking of more of his earlier stuff mm, as, mm. You know, after he's coming out of vaudeville and he's a bit more knockabout. The mm. edges haven't been polished off. Mm-mm-mm. Or maybe even um, Gregory Peck could also do a bit of comedy in his day. Often they miscast him, but nevertheless mm-hmm. he was able to do that. So I don't think it's entirely new, but it, it does feel fresh at least in this film. Mm, yeah. So we've got Niles, our main character, and he's, from the beginning we know he's doomed to repeat this same desert wedding that he's attending with his girlfriend, in inverted commas, <laughs> we'll say for now, and he's mastered how to get the most out of this endless day and not be surprised too much. He kind of has the score and, you know, obviously we have a few cool sequences where he can show off what he's learned, but then we get our classic spanner in the works in the form of Sarah, so played by Kristen Milioti, and so she's a new favourite of mine, by the way. We'll talk a little bit more about where you might have seen these guys in a little minute, but so she's slightly off kilter, but she's very likable, even though she's a bit ragtag herself. So she's the sister of the bride and she suddenly gets caught in his time loop as well. And then, of course, pretty much as you say, Rob, hijinks, romance, adventures ensue. And yeah, it kind of all revolves around this. There's a cave and some other bits and pieces. So That's pretty much it. And for a very simple premise, I think you get quite a lot out of the movie. But to talk a bit more about the people we watching. (laughs) So Andy Samberg, as I mentioned, is probably most well-known these days for being in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, of course. (laughs) Nine-Nine! Which is how I sold it to Rob in the start. I said, so there's a time loop and Andy Samberg's in it. (laughs) He's also got genre chops as well. Yeah, he gets a lot of voice acting. He was in Space Chimps, or his voice was, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and the Hotel Transylvania film series as well. Mm -hmm. He was in Dark Crystal too, apparently. Yes, yes, he was the voice of Skekra, the heretic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got his start, uh, you know, working in comedy, and he has some childhood friends that he formed Lonely Island with, and he's been on SNL, and so, you know, he's been around for a long time. He's got a pretty firm grip on his corner of the world and what he's selling. And I think he sells it well. Then of course we have Kristen Milioti. I hope that's right, Kristen. Um, And she has actually been on the scene for a while, but I think I've seen her in a lot more things I like lately. So first saw her in How I Met Your Mother. (laughs) I didn't stick with that series, so I never met her. I think that's fine. (laughs) You leave that as having time back for you, Rob. She's also been in Wolf of Wall Street, but more recently we would have loved her in Black Mirror. She was in my favourite episode, USS Callister, and she's also been in Fargo, the TV series as well. So she's kind of popping up here and there a lot more. So a lot of that stuff is mainly we're talking drama and whatnot, but I think from this you can tell she's got comedy chops. I think she can do the comedy thing quite well. One of my favourite actors pops up in here mm. as well, J.K. Simmons, playing a character mm-hmm, called mm-hmm. Roy. And he, of course, is J. Jonah Jameson in three Spider-Man movies. Plus, he, he actually crosses over from the uh, original Sony ones into the MCU where he gets a cameo. Mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. plays Jameson's voice in so many different animated series too, like uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, The Avengers, Hulk and the Agents of Smash, Ultimate Spider-Man, Avengers Assemble. And he also went on to play other newsmen. It was a whole thing for him. Not only is he J. Jonah Jameson, mm. he is also Commissioner James Gordon yep. in Justice League. <laughs> He's 
doing the DC and the Marvel almost simultaneously, I will say, because I think he must have started his Zack Snyder Gordon role while he was still doing the Spider-Man stuff. So that's kind of cool. He's been to the 9-9 as well. Yes, of course. <laughs> he guested in that. He may be playing good old Jay Jonah again in uh, Morbius. Mm, 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 mm. But we don't know for sure yet about that. Watch his eyes. Any of the scenes, just watch his eyes. He just has the most expressive eyes and he does a lot of acting just through that. Mm-mm. Yeah. So, and then we also have some other supporting actors. I mean, we're really held together by Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti as their core duo and obviously J.K. Simmons as well in a fairly crucial role that we won't go into. But, I mean, he's wonderful and adding a lot to this film. And then, yeah, we've got another cast of characters from The Wedding, Peter Gallagher, who I love and have loved since I saw him in While You Were Sleeping. He shows up as Father of the Bride. Camilla Mendes, who is obviously in, obviously, (laughs) who's in the Riverdale adaptation that's on Netflix. And Chris Pang, who's actually an actor from Melbourne and he was in the new Charlie's Angel. And he's done a lot of other kind of acting as well. He's very obviously from Melbourne. His accent is right out there. <laughs> so I'm happy they to- let him keep it. <laughs> oh, somebody who's in it is Dale Dickey. Now, she is a classic actress who's been around in so many things from My Name is Earl to True Blood. And she even had a small role in Iron Man 3 as well. Oh, okay. Does she play? Oh, I, I think I know who she plays, yeah. So, yeah, we have like this very interesting setting and then an interesting cast of characters as well. I'm interested to hear what your thoughts were on the movie, Rob. Well, I think I'd like to play another track first, When the Morning Comes. And again, this is from the soundtrack of Palm Springs. This particular one, well, actually, I probably shouldn't tell you where it comes from in the movie, Mm -hmm. but no, When the Morning Comes is by Daryl Hall and John Oates, and it's from their abandoned Luncheonette album. That's a great title too for an album, I reckon. This is Kim Stanley Robinson, author of Red Mars, Green Mars, and Blue Mars. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R. Goodness me, there's enough awoos there to herald a howling movie or maybe a Shakira song. Mm. <laughs> but it's When the Morning Comes, Daryl Hall and John Oates from their Abandoned Luncheonette <laughs> album one of many easy listening tracks to be heard in Palm Springs, the Time Loop movie on Amazon Prime, which we are discussing now. And it's got a great soundtrack that reminds me of a Guardians of the Galaxy mixtape. Definite vibes. (laughs) Yeah. So we talked about some of the people in the movie and the characters, and we, we told you that it's a time loop that gets entered into via the nexus of a cave out in the desert mm. during a wedding in Palm Springs. So I guess really what we need to talk about is the time loop procedural, which is important Ooh, to us. Yes. I was going mm. to say time loops, they have rules, and I think I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on how they executed said time loop in this particular outing. It's excellent. It really is. Not only is it excellent, it's funny. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> no opportunity for a gag is lost. Mm-hmm. I guess in that respect, we're a little bit Groundhog Day. The tone that I was hoping for when I was watching this film, when it started up, was something like Colossal. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Which is not a time loop movie. No. But there was a kind of a a light touch to it, tinged with a little bit of a hard edge, but not Mm. too much. Yeah, agree. 
It's incredibly violent in places. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the moments where they do jump into that, it's quite shocking. Mm. It's like seeing a moment of violence in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt <laughs> special. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, <laughs> I, I did not expect that. <laughs> it all makes perfect sense within the context. Yeah. So I actually will list this as one of my now most perfect time loop Ooh. movies. Yay. Uh, I do agree. And I think what's important too with your time loop is if you've got a lot of ideas, you need to time them well and you need to not let any gag last for one beat too long. And I think they pulled that off here perfectly. Whenever they had a specific okay, this day is going to go down this route. They never made me get bored. I never felt like it was getting tedious. I think just the timing and the editing in here is just one of the things that I thought made it a really exceptional time loop movie and movie in general, just to (laughs) give you a precursor of what my thoughts were. But I agree. I think the time loop stuff, someone obviously knows how to execute such a thing really well. Might not have always been the case because the writer was saying that originally he had in little title cards telling you how long they'd been in there and what iteration was, Mm -hmm. a little bit clumsy sort of thing, you know. Mm -hmm. But they managed to lose all of that and that's much to the good. Another movie that I thought it felt a little bit like was Local Hero. Ah, Deja Vu mentioned that before. Yeah. (laughs) So I think it's Palm Springs is just a a very fine time loop procedural movie to start with. Mm -hmm. And as a rom-com, I thought it was very sweet. Mm, mm, Mm. mm. I think the real joy of it is it is a very familiar story, but there was so much about it that I found really refreshing. I think it can be hard to kickstart a formula like this and tick off the tropes without yeah, just the viewer being bored basically or just annoyed with the characters. But I thought it was funny without being over the top and it was romantic but it wasn't cheesy. And I agree, I think the tone of it is perfect, like the desert setting, the style of comedy, even the wedding, like the wedding element I think is just the perfect way to set this up. And, you know, I think it's some people's worst nightmare to be stuck in the same day with a wedding over and over and other people would be like, get great food. I get to, you know, party and have fun. Like it would be a great way to be stuck in a time loop. So I thought that was interesting as well. And I do like both the leads. I think they were really charismatic in this. I thought they had a nice chemistry. Simmons was there to like add a little bit of extra zing. And yeah, I thought it was engaging and the story moved quickly. And every time it changed gears exactly when it needed a boost And then it wrapped up exactly when I think it was, you know, time to have a resolution. So personally, I thought not just as a time loop movie, but I think there was a lot here that was just done really neatly. And I wonder if that is because for a first film or like a passion project, if you do edit and go over and think about it so much and polish it and polish it and polish it, and it does reach this point. Uh, It's interesting what you said about the title cards. I would have hated that. It totally would have taken me out of it and it would have taken away from the film. So I like the idea that these guys maybe got this to the best possible film it could be and then the production of it actually helped improve it even more. And then we get this weird little sci-fi comedy package. I mean, I was into this even when I saw the trailer, but I was pleasantly surprised by the actual film too. 
And it rolls out at about an hour and a half. Yeah, perfect time. It feels very economical. Mm. I really liked the non-chemistry between Sandberg and Kristen Milotti so that they could develop that. And that reminded me a little bit about <sighs> Much Ado About Nothing. Oh, actually. yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of a, a thing going on in that too that's similar to that. Yeah. And, and not in that, and you're right, not in a cheesy way. Mm, mm. Mm. Yeah. Although you might say that there is a predestined <laughs> way. Yeah. And I think it was very, like you said, sweet. Like at the, I was here for it. I was ready to go along on the journey. I wanted the best for them, even though you probably wouldn't say they were good people necessarily all the time. I think all of that was very authentic. As much as a time loop movie about a weird cave can be authentic. Best of all, I think, is the way that they all lean into it. Mm, 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 mm. As you would. Yeah. So there's practical jokes they play and their foreknowledge of of things happening leads them to become very sassy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it pays off for you. Like there's little things in the beginning that then you get to enjoy later when you're more familiar with the concept. I think it's all very clever without being pleased with itself for being clever. So I like that a lot. This is probably a film that's going to be become not only a cult film, but ironically enough, you are going to want to experience it again just to see if you missed mm. anything. Mm. There were several laugh out loud moments for me in it. Same. As well as quite a few WTF moments. <laughs> that was the joy of it. There was a there was a few surprises. It takes a lot to surprise me in a movie these days, in a good way. So in, in zero G terms, I give this uh, a yeah. Yeah. As- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, rating. (laughs) As do I. (laughs) Thank you for finding this one, Megan. I have heard about it from some other film reviewers around the traps, and I thought, yeah, this is one we're going to have to check out. Palm Springs on Amazon Prime. All right, let's have no surprises at all in the rest of the show because we will have a David Bowie song here for our weekly Bowie, and it's Time Will Crawl from his Sound and Vision album. Salutations from Salmonius. I'm Robert Trevor, the Hellenist Custler from Hercules, the Legendary Journeys, and Xena Warrior Princess. I've been paid a lot of dinars. What a load of rubbish. I've been paid a cup of water friend in a plastic cup. But I'm here from America pushing my show, so they're making me say this stuff. Oh, where am I? Oh, yeah. To say that Zero G is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of Olympics. And if you buy that, we have a wooden horse down in Troy that you with some people, but you'll enjoy yourselves. Yeah, time crawling along there with Mr. Bowie from his Sound and Vision album. So from Palm Springs with its immaculate time loop procedural, we go to another kind of favourite procedural of mine, which are science fiction blueprint books. (laughs) Now, I've been collecting these since the 1970s with my classic Star Trek packet of blueprints. And the one that got me into all of it, to begin with, the Star Trek Starfleet Technical Manual, which came out in the 1970s. And I vividly remember my older brother leafing through the technical manual and saying, is this real or is it just bullshit? (laughs) (laughs) And I assured him that it was all real, (laughs) Galaxy Quest style. Now, I had a parallel interest because I was doing graphic communications 
what we used to call that at school. And I started out doing like R2-D2 and an X-Wing fighter. These were my Mm -hmm. class projects. So (laughs) I really love this kind of stuff. It went on over the years. I ended up with a big box of Star Trek Next Generation blueprints and on into 2001, A Space Odyssey, Star Wars, and eventually Aliens. Ooh, yes. Now, the Aliens Colonial Marines technical manual came out quite a while ago, and it was released by a company called Box Tree, and that whetted my appetite for more. And with the recent anniversary of the film mm-hmm. Alien, mm-hmm. they produced a lot of other things. They took the opportunity to put out, oh, this massive book that I'll hoist into view, which is called Alien, The Blueprints. It's a Titan Books imprint in hardback, and it's 156 pages of the most incredible drawings. Mm. This is by Graham J. Langridge, and he was uh, in an architectural arm of an English construction firm Mm -hmm. back in 2003. He was working on his degree. And as you do, his side project was doing CAD drawings of science fiction hardware, in this case, Alien. And eventually he got Alien model maker Martin Bauer Mm-hmm. to run his eye over it. Nice. He got information from model kits and 3D models and putting the DVD on pause. <laughs> a lot of science fiction fans have done this, like we've watched Blake 7 and tried to work out where all the rooms were, mm. tried to figure out why the lower deck of the Jupiter 2 doesn't fit in Lost in Space, all that sort of stuff. He does this with a couple of perspective views of each of the vehicles in these shows, Mm -hmm. external plans, side elevations, end elevations, interiors, and so on, all immaculately drawn in these wonderful big blueprints. Amazing. With lots of nerny little details and badges and, you know, and authorizations from the Weyland Utani company. Model making fans will smile at how diligently the artist has worked to accurately depict the smallest detail of simulated engineering design that was scavenged from a copious supply of commercial model kits or even simply sourced from bits and bobs of domestic household items like interestingly configured shampoo bottle tops and the like. Mm. Oh, blueprints. They're actually a a vintage photographic process-derived technology uh, created back in 1842. They used contact printing to rapidly copy construction drawings, which created a white line on blue background negative of the original. It's obsolete now, but this book of science fiction hardware and many others echo the practice by reproducing blue lines on a white background, which is Technically speaking, a a different process called white prints developed in the 1940s. And here we are pushing that out over 100 years into the future with, as the background blurb states, indispensable technology for an unforgiving galaxy. (laughs) So what's included in this are the space tug Nostromo from Alien, the escape shuttle Narcissus that Ripley Mm -hmm. gets away in. Spoiler. (laughs) And even the big Cygnus Testotech refinery that the Nostromo is actually towing at the start, which doesn't feature much in the actual film, even though it's a great big ship. Mm. He proceeds into Aliens and gives us the derelict space jockey ship, the Sulaco, the marine ship, which is based upon an image rather like a thrown knife. Mm -hmm. The insect-like Cheyenne UD-4L dropship with its 
brutal loadout of xenomorph-busting ordnance, Banshee, Hellhound, and Cobra missiles, none of which were of the slightest bit of use in the actual tactical corner that the Colonial Marines were painted into by circumstances, overconfidence, and deliberately dodgy leadership in the film, Aliens. <laughs> Fans of everyone's favourite combat ride, the slab-sided M577 armoured personnel carrier, are not left wanting. In the movie, the actual full-size prop was built around an airport towing vehicle, a really chunky piece of engineering which had to be heavily weighted in order to haul along an airliner off the tarmac. There are several pages of coolly frightful schematics showcasing the APC's variable location gun turret, which is very handy for being loaded into the dropship, but also for getting into the kind of tight spaces that any sane person probably doesn't want to actually go into in the Aliens universe. (laughs) This is the colony itself, so you get all the corridors and you can see which doors the Marines welded shut and when they had their last stand and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Mm. The power loader, the famous yellow loading machine that Ripley fights the alien queen with. I like the marketing slogan on that beastie. Get more done with the Caterpillar P5000 power loader, including (laughs) battling nightmare alien queens seeking vengeance for their slaughtered facehugger eggs. And the Cautionary occupational health and safety notes on the power loader blueprint seem a bit redundant under those circumstances. <laughs> Considerable practice is required to use a power loader efficiently and safely, with the equivalent of a Class II civilian cargo handling license is needed to operate them in United States Colonial Marine Service. To operate a power loader, it requires sureness and economy of movement, since hesitancy and exaggerated motion tends to place undue stress on the load-bearing joints. <laughs> Moving on to Alien 3, with the Sulaco's escape pod and the big colony that the prisoners were in. Alien Resurrection, with that really wonderful, clunky spaceship, the Betty, and the big Marine Corps spaceship the Auriga. Not a great film, Alien Resurrection, but it had its moments. And then they go on to Prometheus Covenant. (laughs) (laughs) Not our favourite. No, but the drawings in that are still exquisite. Mm, mm. Just the one of the bulk cargo lifter I thought was incredible. So well done. As a bonus, you also get drawings by Chris Foss and Ron Cobb, who were instrumental in the early designs for the Alien movie, and model shots as well. Mm. So you can see where he's got some of the ideas from. I particularly like the fact that he's – Giving you a whole lot of stuff in there that you wouldn't expect. Some of these are fold-outs too. This is a sound effect that I love, and we can do this on radio. Okay, so you've got a double-page fold-out of the Sulaco. As you open it up, and then you get this big, massive fold-out showing all the details, all the stuff that you would like to know about but never found out about in the film. And there's some jokes hidden in here too. Not too many of them. But, you know, I mean, he's worked it all out. So, like, the operation of the USS Sulaco and her Conestoga-class sister ships, Conestoga was was the name of the prairie wagons that the Americans used when they went out west. Her sister ships are fully automated. Within the foremost section of the Conestoga-class starships are cargo hangars, 
access to which is from the interior. You know, there's all of this detail in here that you just can pour over. And I know this is ultimate engineering sci-fi mm. geek 101, but yeah, you know, I'm there for all of this. He's also designed it to kind of blend into the aforementioned Aliens Colonial Marines technical manual that I was mm-hmm. mentioning earlier on. So points there for not overlapping too much and not taking away from that mm. early groundbreaking book. So there's a lot to be seen in this one, 156 pages, Alien Blueprints. Mm-hmm. And in spite of the title, it's from more than just the Alien movie. It's Aliens and Resurrection and Prometheus and Covenant. So there's a lot more in it than just that. Beautifully drawn. Mm. If you're an Alien franchise fan, this is a must-have book. And I just like to sit and read all the stuff and trace through the corridors and things. Ah, so much fun. (laughs) This is a book that had my name on it (laughs) calling to me. And the the paper stock, by the way, has a slightly subtle used look to it, as if the book has seen a bit of action itself, maybe slapped down onto a conference table as doomed colonial marines try to work out a safe route to get the hell out of Space Dodge when the monstrous bugs are banging on and chittering at the gates. There you have it, Alien, The Blueprints by Graham J. Langridge, a big, lavish and frighteningly fearsome Titan Books hardback, printed in 2019. One of a number of very amazing and remarkable books that they bought out to mark the anniversary of Alien last year. Still available in some bookshops, if you remember what they were like. (laughs) definitely available online. You should be able to get it for under $100. All right. Well, that's about it for Zero G for today. Hmm. And I'm trying to think of what kind of track we shall play to go out with. Well, do we want something more time travel hmm. It's not a bad idea. Or we could have something from Alien. And I think we'll probably go with something from Alien. And, you know, I particularly like this track, Combat Drop. It's by James Horner and the London Symphony Orchestra. And there is another version on the deluxe album, but with just percussion. Oh. Yeah, an interesting isolated way to do it. There is a regular Alien soundtrack, but this one's got all the bells and whistles and drums and missiles and (laughs) all the other things that the dropship had. And I can remember when James Cameron was working on all of that, he said, I want it to look like a a futuristic version of a Huey helicopter. Mm. So, you know, army green, as tough as old boots and, you know, just designed to be able to go anywhere and stomp on bugs. (laughs) So watch out, the xenomorphs are coming. All right, and that's about it for Zero G for today. Mm. We will roll on over into Combat Drop. It's very exciting. (laughs) Thanks to Kayla Larson, our podcaster, and to my partner, Gail. And my partner, Carl. Thank you, as always. The logistics team for Zero G are dedicated and long-suffering. Yes, (laughs) to say the least. (laughs) And Joe Brunatic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. So here we go with Combat Drop from Aliens by James Horner. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. 
G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.